Hi there, my name is Dan Lett. I am a columnist of the Winnipeg Free Press, and you are tuned in to Not For Attribution, the Winnipeg Free Press politics, government, and public policy podcast. We are now in the last 48 hours or so of the election campaign, and uh, the staff, the voluminous staff at Not For Attribution decided that we would try something different. So we came up with five questions that we were pretty sure that the leaders of the main parties had not been asked. And we thought we would put the same five question to all four leaders. And uh, we thought we were pretty clever. Um, we ran into a problem almost right away because, not surprisingly, one of those leaders refused to answer our questions. Uh, and that leader, of course, is the progressive conservative leader, um, Brian Pallister. Now, I say, of course, because uh, they, uh, the Tory campaign has really been uh, minimizing the amount of time that um, Mr. Pallister spends answering questions off the cuff uh, or uh, answering questions that he's not prepared for. And we did not agree that we would give the questions to the leaders in advance. So he decided not to play our game. Uh, fortunately, the other three parties did. So we put the same five questions to three of the four main party leaders. And here are the answers that we got. First off, we'll hear from Liberal leader Dugald Lamont. I'm here with Dougal Lamont outside the Access Fort Gary Center. Um, after an announcement you made about the clinics, yep. we're just going to ask you five questions that we're asking all of the leaders. Uh, okay, all right. I'm just running. Okay. Centering myself, deep breath. Okay, ready to go. Okay. So, name one issue you have not talked about this campaign that you wish you had. Wow. Um, children in care. Yeah, it's actually an incredibly important issue. Um, and I had a long talk with a CFS worker uh, who deals with some of the uh, most difficult cases last night, and she was really worried because she looks like she's worried she's going to end up having her wages free frozen for five years, and they were frozen for five years under the NDP as well. And that is, there are more, like, it's, it's, it's an incredibly important moral issue as well as a political issue that there are too many kids in care, and we really should be doing something about it. We... We've announced a bunch of things that I think will make it better, but we haven't, uh, that's had an issue, and actually Indigenous issues generally haven't been talked about enough in this campaign. Can you give us one idea to help drive higher voter turnout? Um, it's important to get people engaged young, I know that. Um, I mean, I could say something about polls. The funny thing about polls is I actually think they discourage people in a lot of ways. Um, and it, when I've talked to people, I, I've talked to a bunch of people who've essentially become radicalized over the years um, in that they used not to be engaged politically, but then Stephen Harper came along and they said, well, this, I've got to get up and do something about it. But part of it is re people really need to understand the incredible power that they have when they vote. The other is it's actually, when people talk about politics, it, they don't engage as much on the provincial level. Like, everybody seems to talk about Don, either Donald Trump or Justin Trudeau or Andrew Scheer, right? So it's all very high level, but people need to understand so much of what happens is so important at the local level. Um, and that they have, the, they have the power to change. I was looking at it. If you, if you look at the number of people who vote, all those people who don't vote almost always outnumber the, every single vote cast for whoever wins. Uh, there were more people who didn't vote in the 2016 
U.S. presidential election then voted for either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. And the same thing happened here in Manitoba and in Ontario. Voting makes a huge difference. And the other is that if you vote, because the other thing I've heard from politicians is that they, they write people off. They say, oh, well, those people don't vote anyway, so we're not going to worry about it, which to me is terrible because, and the people should know that because they're, they're actively discouraged from voting and there are obstacles set up to voting, but if people actually vote and are known as a voting block that has to be, uh, and as a power to contend with, then they, that's how real change can be made. Especially for young people right now. When I'm glad there seems to be a new generation of activists. So follow up to that question then, would you support some form of electoral reform to drive higher voter turnout? Yeah, I think it absolutely needs to be looked at. Um, I mean, Australia has Australia has mandatory voting, um, and they have a 93% turnout. But they have other ways. There are all there are other obstacles just to getting people to participate in it as well. I mean, um, it's actually I think in some ways too hard to become a candidate. Uh, that the parties have structured these things to give incumbents an advantage and make it hard. They actually make it hard for new voices to come in. And I mean, we've even seen that. Look, we're a, we're a third party. Um, and there are all sorts of challenges just becoming a candidate. Oh, there we go. I mean, you're, <laughs> Jessica's laughing. Edit that out. She's laughing because I keep having, because I keep attracting wasps. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do about that. But, um, I mean, that's it, is that, but the other is that what we've tried to do is actually try to engage people in a way that's pleasant, right? Because the fact is that political campaigns are stressful and difficult. You're putting your name on the line, and only one person is in any constituency is going to win. But I've always taken the, the belief that every single vote counts, even if it's not for someone who's winning, because it's important for democracy, right? Is that, um, and I hope people don't lose that, and I think that there is that sense that people, too many people think their vote won't make a difference. Fair. Look, I've lost two elections by one vote, and I won one election by eight. So I know every vote matters. Which presents the biggest threat to Manitoba's future, climate change or government debt? Uh, oh, climate change, undoubtedly. Yep. I mean, people uh, people are very alarmed about Manitoba's debt, but when you look at it, compared to other governments, it is actually not that high. Um, that when you look at our debt-to-GDP ratio, it's actually fairly manageable. <laughs> um, and, yeah, the thing about money is that money is money, and there are other ways you can you can deal with it in all sorts of different ways. You can... You can invest, make revenues. You can negotiate new deals with the federal government. There's, you can cut taxes. You can raise levies. But climate change is real, and climate change is something is the real world where we actually have to act. And if we don't, uh, that's a much much bigger uh, change challenge. Because the the uh, if you look at the costs of acting and trying to do what we can to prevent further climate change, and the cost of doing nothing, the costs of doing nothing are far beyond anything. So. Fourth question, if you couldn't vote for yourself and your party, who would you vote for in this election? Oh, boy. Well, you know what? That's one of those hypothetical questions, and it, one of the, those rules is you're not supposed to ever answer hypothetical questions. Jean Chrétien used to say when, when, when somebody asked him a hypothetical question, he'd say, if my grandmother had wheels, she'd be a bus. What's your point? <laughs> If you were to answer, though, just throw out a party or uh, another leader or candidate that you see potential in, who would you pick? Uh, who are some candidates that I particularly know or like? Actually, 
If I lived in Point Douglas, I might, and I couldn't vote for our candidate, I might vote for Kathy Guimond Doyle. She's running as an independent, but she's an uh, indigenous woman, she, and I like what she does. Do you believe you have been completely honest in everything you've said and done during this campaign? I've tried very hard, yeah. We always try to be straightforward and back up everything we have with facts. We try to fact check. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think I'm sorry if I sound if I sound indecisive, it's because I'm trying to review all my comments. But yeah, we've done we we've tried to run a, a really clean and positive campaign. And whenever we talked about anything, it's been based in fact and not on. We actually even tried to avoid opinion, right? <laughs> right, and not go after people's personalities, and but to talk about uh, the issues and the ideas. So, and yeah, we try to do it and back it up. And look, and if you make a mistake, we apologize for it. So, thanks for the time, Dougal. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Now that we've heard the responses from uh, Dugald Lamont, we'd like to move on and listen to Green Party leader James Badome answer the same five questions. Uh, reporter Maggie McIntosh here with James Bedham. Um, we're going to go through some of the questions for our podcast. Okay. Now, James, you know, you've had a number of press conferences, yeah. obviously, over the last few weeks. Could you name one issue that you perhaps have not talked about enough in this campaign uh, or something that you wish you had? Yeah, the child and family services system. I, I, it's still a huge issue. We still have far too many kids in care, and I don't really think it's come up uh, enough in this campaign. Uh, it was sort of the issue of the last campaign in 2016, but, you know, it hasn't, we haven't solved the crises uh, and it really hasn't been as present as maybe it was in 2016. So I think that's an issue that, that needs to be talked about more than that hasn't been talked about as much. Um, and also, you know, that Greens are very small business friendly. I think we probably could have put out uh, more release on sort of how we'd work with small businesses and how the green economy would create a lot of opportunities for small businesses. Okay. There's still time left in the campaign. Yeah, well, we'll see what we can do. I mean, it is getting tight, right? There's only four days left, and, and we do have another release plan for tomorrow. But, uh, yeah, there still is some time. Maybe we could uh, see if we could slide that out. Uh, <laughs> no promises. Got to get to the doors, too, in the last few days as well. That's always uh, a big part to do, Make sure you get your voters out. Right, and so talking about voter turnout, you know, do you have any ideas of ways that we can improve voter turnout in the province? Oh, wow. Well, proportional representation is one. I certainly think if, you know, some people didn't feel that their vote was a wasted vote in certain ridings that are seen as safe seats. I also think proportional representation tends to have the issues of the suburbs drive the political bus in Manitoba. And I don't know that the needs in the suburbs are as dire as, say, the inner city or northern Manitoba. Um, so I think that's one way that we can get people. We'd also lower the voting age to 16. So I think trying to get youth engaged and, and get them engaged in the school on that. Um, that's another way. And, and I think just giving people something to vote for. I mean, the one interesting thing that we look at is when we've seen Elizabeth May win, when we've seen David Kuhn win, when we've seen Mike Schreiner, when we've seen the Greens win in PEI, the overall vote percentage tends to go up. So that tells me that Greens are giving non-voters something to vote for. And certainly when I'm out there knocking at the door, I really want to work hard. It's not always easy, but to get those non-voters just to vote. I mean, I want them to vote Green, but even if I can just get them participating in the system, I do try to work hard. Although I will admit it can be a challenge at times. Those are people that maybe aren't tuned into politics, right? They're turned off and that's why they haven't been voting. But I think finding ways to reach out to them and appeal to them is key. 
Now, mixed member proportional representation is something you've talked about. Yes. Can you just speak a little bit about what this electoral reform would look like here? Sure. Well, I mean, we might want broader reforms after that, but following along with New Zealand, we're going to implement it first and we can do a further referendum later. The way we do it is with a, a fairly modest change. We'd redistrict 57 ridings to 50, uh, and then uh, the elections would take place the same as they ordinarily do. However, there would be seven member-at-large legislature seats that would be appointed based on the least remainder uh, method, which is basically the party that's the least underrepresented, would get another candidate. The way that candidate would be selected is based on the candidate of that party that got the most number of absolute votes or the highest percentage in their riding. So in 2016, Dave Nickers and I, and I think Kevin Nichols, would have all been pulled up because we had the strongest showing of Green Party candidates. And similarly, I can't think of the Liberal candidates that had the strongest showing but would have been picked as well as one NDP candidate. So uh, that's the nature of, of how we would do it, and that would make the system substantially more progressive uh, and would help people realize that, you know, your vote isn't isn't as wasted. And the other thing I think we could do too is uh, bring back the dollar twenty-five per vote subsidy. Uh, it's a much more fair way of subsidizing political parties. It leaves it leaves it with the voter in terms of making that decision. Uh, whereas the campaign reimbursement expenditures tends to encourage parties just to print a lot of paper and use a lot of plastic during a very short campaign period and not be as active outside. And that's yeah, so I think that's something we could also look at. An obvious question for you, but what do you think is the most pressing or is the more pressing concern to Manitoba? You know, balancing the budget or climate change? Uh, I, I'd say climate change. I mean, that's not to say we don't need to work on balancing the budget, but we have to look at our ecological deficit and our ecological debt. And not only that, climate change is a way to balance the budget. Uh, you know, certainly, we'd like to recycle it into our basic income proposal and other green initiatives, but A, a carbon tax is a, is a means of generating revenue, uh, helping people better insulate their homes, going to electrification of transportation is going to create a ton of jobs. So that's going to grow the tax base, and also create a more sustainable economy. So I think the two actually work hand in hand, um, but I do think that we need to deal with climate change. It's, we're, we're facing a crisis, it's an emergency, and we need to treat it like the emergency that it is, and basically get off of fossil fuels as fast as possible. Okay, this is an interesting one. If you couldn't vote for yourself in this election, who would you vote for? If I couldn't vote for myself... That's a really tough question. This is why we need, uh, you know, it's just why we didn't get 57 Green candidates. I don't know if I'd go in and formally decline my ballot, probably. I mean, the reason I ran for the Greens is none of the traditional parties uh, really appeal to me. Um, I don't know, I might talk to some of the other two local candidates that aren't from the traditional parties, but neither of them really appeal to me. So I think I'd be, I'd be stuck almost formally declining my ballot. I'd still go in and formally decline it, but I don't know that I'd, I don't know that I would cast my ballot elsewhere. All right. Uh, and lastly, you know, do you believe that you have been completely honest um, about everything you've said and done over the campaign? Yeah, I've, that's one thing I always try is just to be as straight up as I can and as forthright as I can in a, in a polite manner. But, but to tell people how I think it is. And, you know, one of the things that we've done that bucks conventional wisdom is we've made it pretty clear. Look, for Manitobans, probably on average 60 to 70,000, you're going to pay a lot more into our system. For those Manitobans making less, you're going to receive a lot more. I, I think that's sort of an honesty that few parties put forward. But for those Manitobans that are making more, we've tried to be clear and say, look, these are strategic investments that are going to result in long-term savings. And that's why we're asking for you to do that. I haven't seen that same... 
uh, transparency from other parties. I've seen them make promises that aren't necessarily fully costed, or at least I'm not able to determine where the money's going to come from. Thanks, James. Thanks. Now we've heard from two of the three party leaders, the uh, remaining party leader who agreed to participate in our exercise is NDP leader Wab Canoe. So I'm outside the Manitoba legislature with Wab Canoe. You're here for lunch at Manifest? Yeah, food truck wars are going down. So I uh, sampled some of the goods. Well, we're going to ask you the five questions we're asking all of the leaders for our podcast here. So the first one is, name one issue you have not talked about this campaign that you wish you had. Oh, man, we've talked about everything. I don't think I've actually said the words artificial intelligence until now <laughs> in the campaign. Uh, but I am a big believer in, like, we have to modernize our economy, recognizing AI and is doing to change things and to me the answer is jobs like we have to find a way to keep people working in manitoba even though our biggest sectors of our economy like agriculture manufacturing transportation finance and insurance all those are going to be automated in the next five to ten years so i got a kid going into high school this week what's going to be there for him when he's done high school when he's done university and we've been talking about jobs we've been laying out our Agenda, infrastructure jobs, healthcare jobs, training, post-secondaries. Um, but the thing that I don't think we've talked about a ton in this campaign is the reasons why jobs are so important to think about now. And it is partially the gig economy, but it's also partially because of technology. Robots taking over. Terminator 2. Okay. Uh, number two, can you give us one idea to help drive higher voter turnout? I think um, having uh, all leaders show up for all the debate opportunities would be a great way to engage voters more. This is supposed to be a battle of ideas, and it's uh, it's tough to have a battle of ideas when your main opponent uh, hides out for the entire campaign, shows up one time, and then for the rest of the time just hides behind his attack ads. So I think that that would be one step that the leaders ourselves could take is just participate in the debates. Um, in terms of driving turnout for young people and other people who maybe not as uh, reliably turn out for elections, is just to uh, have exciting policy, stuff that people care about, you know, progressive ideas on health, on the environment, climate change. Follow up to that question, but would you support some kind of electoral reform to drive higher voter turnout? You know, some people have actually brought this up during the campaign, and they've been talking about Australia and uh, the law that they have there. Other people have been talking about uh, other ways, carrots and sticks, that you could use to motivate people to vote. I don't think us fining low-income or young people or Indigenous folks for not voting is a good model. But if we could figure out a way that was not punitive, I'd be open to it. Yeah, if we could find out a positive way, then that would be awesome. Number three, which presents the biggest threat to Manitoba's future, climate change or government debt? It's climate change. Yeah, it's definitely climate change. Again, uh, the debt is within a normal range for a province in terms of the debt-to-GDP ratio, so that's uh, manageable. doesn't mean we have to not pay attention to it. For sure we do. But climate change is going to change everything else, you know. Uh, it's actually going to change our ability to repay our debt, too. 
right? Our economy is going to be damaged if we have more drought and more floods and more wildfires. We also know that our health is going to get worse. You know, our kids are growing up, more asthma, more allergies. Uh, there's more pollutants in the environment, which is uh, feeding into some of the allergy issues. And we know that the wildfire smoke uh, exacerbates asthma and other conditions. So bottom line, Manitobans are going to see more and more health impacts, more economic impacts, and even you know a threat to our way of life in the, term, in the form of climate change. So we've got to get a handle on it. Number four, if you couldn't vote for yourself or your party, who would you vote for in this election? Probably... Uh, tough you know I probably wouldn't vote based on another party I take a look for a candidate that I uh, that I really believe in and uh, no that's not a reference to Dave Wheeler that's uh, me keeping my options open any other candidates from other parties that you see have potential no that was my answer Okay, fair. Last one. Do you believe you have been completely honest in everything you've said and done during this campaign? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's been important to me. And, like, we put out a CASA platform right at the beginning because we wanted to be judged and held accountable on it. And our announcements every day, you know, I think have been stuff that I could stand behind, stuff that I'm proud of. So, yeah, I think we've been open and honest, even, like, when there's been personal questions or questions for candidates, we've always shown up to answer them. Good stuff. Thanks for your time. Okay. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it. Uh, We think it's an interesting exercise. Uh, I think there's a lot of different interpretations of the answers that we got. And, um, you know, really, I think uh, we're doing this uh, to try and do something that will inform uh, people, maybe provide something a little different for um, voters as they head out to the polls. And we certainly do hope that you head out to the polls. So uh, listen to Not For Attribution. Listen to all four episodes. uh, Make yourself informed. And then uh, get your rear ends out to the polls and cast your ballot on Tuesday, September the 10th. And we will check in with you a week after the election for a huge Not For Attribution postmortem. My name is Dan Lett. Uh, And you are listening to Not For Attribution.